If you're interested in listening ad-free, go to patreon.com slash drnosleep. There you can enjoy my ad-free podcast and never have to listen to ads again. That's patreon.com slash drnosleep. Now time for the story. Talk to no sleep. Something else dripped down out of his hands, hitting me on the cheek. As he leaned closer, I saw he had a knife. Shouting, I scrambled away from him, falling off the air mattress and knocking the lamp over. I kicked my legs and shouted for help as I tried to free myself from the sleeping bag. The whole time, my eyes were fixed on the knife held in Glenn's right hand. He'd cut his left hand open. It was blood that had dripped on me, on my forehead and my cheek and in my mouth. Get him away from me! I shouted, finally getting out of the sleeping bag and standing crouched in the corner. Lilith suddenly appeared in the doorway. What's wrong? She said, moving toward her husband. He's got a fucking knife! Oh dear. Oh, Glenn. Lilith said, snatching the kitchen knife away from him and inspecting his cut hand. What will I do with you? Both of them were in strange pajamas that reminded me of religious robes. Lilith guided Glenn out of the room. I stood in the corner for a moment, breathing heavily. Then I hurried over to the door and shut it. Padding to the closet, I opened the door in search of something I could prop against the bedroom door to keep anyone from coming in. But there was nothing in the small closet, just dusty shelves. Moving back to the bedroom door, I yanked it open and went down to the bathroom, spitting into the sink to try and remove the taste of Glenn's blood. I wet a rag and scrubbed the drops of blood off my face. As I was getting ready to leave, Lilith appeared in the doorway. I'm so sorry, Dylan, she said. He doesn't know what he's doing. He's sick. What if he cut me? I said. What if he killed me with that knife? Oh, he would never. Lilith said, clearly offended. He wouldn't. You just said he doesn't know what he's doing. I said. He could do anything. Her sunken eyeballs peered out at me for a long moment. Then she shook her head. Why don't you come downstairs? I'll make you a nice cup of tea and we can both calm down, hmm? No, I said. No, I'm going back to bed. And I'm going to set that lamp next to the door. So it will fall over if Glenn comes into the room. Shoving past her, I made my way down the creaky hallway. Please, Dylan. Lilith said behind me. Please, let me apologize with a cup of tea. I ignored her, slamming the bedroom door and grabbing the lamp yanking the cord out of the wall. When I had knocked it over earlier, only the lampshade had crumpled. The bulb was intact, but there was no socket close enough to the door for me to plug it in. So I worked in the dark. I looked briefly for my phone, finding it under the mattress, which I moved to the other side of the room. I wanted to be as far away from the door as possible. But while I worked to rearrange the room, I heard Jerry's door open followed by footsteps heading downstairs. After a few minutes, I could hear two more sets of footsteps heading down the creaky steps. They were all going downstairs. Why? I had a sick feeling in my stomach. All the things that had happened to me this night couldn't all be a coincidence, could they? Something scratched at my subconscious as I stood in the middle of the dark room, the cold from the wood floor soaking into the soles of my feet. After a few deep breaths, I realized I was listening for the murmurings of speech from downstairs. 
I couldn't hear any talking, which seemed strange. It bothered me. I wondered what they were doing down there. Standing on my tiptoes and moving as lightly as I could, I headed over to the door and moved the lamp out of the way. I opened the door slowly and stuck my head out. I could hear the faint sounds of lowered voices, whispers barely audible, but I couldn't hear what they were saying. So I moved out of the room and into the hall. Testing each step before I put my full weight into it, I moved down the hall without making any noise. I stuck to the edges of the hallway where the wood wasn't as worn and creaky. Then I did the same thing as I came to the stairs, testing, stepping only at the edges, going slow. When I got three steps from the first floor, I stopped and listened hard. They were in the kitchen. I could hear what they were saying, barely. But he sat willingly on the tarp, right? Lilith asked. You didn't force him? If he didn't do it of his free will, it won't work. No, Mom, Jerry said. I didn't force him. I know how this is done. Boy, you were only 13 years old the last time we did this. Glenn said in a harsh whisper. You don't know shit. There was a moment of silence. My heart thundered in my chest. I wasn't sure what I was hearing, but I knew it wasn't good. Okay, Lilith said. Okay, it's fine. I'll bring the tea up to him. I'll convince him to drink it. What if he doesn't drink it? Jerry asked. What then? He will, Lilith said. He will. I can sweet talk him. He's a mama's boy. Isn't that what you said? So only a mama's touch will work. When the time comes, Jerry said, can I be the one to do it? Glenn laughed <laughs> cruelly. You want to do it? Last time, you cried for a week. Or don't you remember that? I was 13, Dad, Jerry said. I'm an adult now. I should be able to finish the ritual. Are you sure, honey? Lilith asked. It's an awful lot of blood. And it's harder than it looks. You really have to use some muscle to pierce the skin. The blood drained from my face. They were talking about killing me. I'm sure, Jerry said. That idiot shoved me. I want to be the one to finish it. It's okay with me if your dad says it's okay. Fine, Glenn said. So how long will it take after he drinks the tea? Jerry asked, sounding excited. About an hour before the sedative takes full effect, Lilla said. I looked across at the entryway, where the jackets and coats were all hung up, and I realized with terror that I'd left my shoes and coat upstairs. I'd never brought them back down after going out and trying Jerry's car earlier. There was no way I was going back upstairs. I needed to get out of this house now. I had my phone in my pants pocket, but I was still barefoot and only had an undershirt on. Quickly scanning the coats on the rack, I determined that Jerry's clothing was too small, but Glenn's might just work. It was my only chance. Otherwise, I would freeze to death. I stepped down one more stair, but in my haste, I hadn't tested the step first. I froze as the whispering from the kitchen stopped. Oh no. I held my breath and listened. Someone was coming. I lunged off the step, racing toward the coat rack and the shoes underneath. Stop him! I grabbed a large black coat and stuffed it under my left arm. I grabbed a pair of boots that looked to be around my size, and then I was out the door 
and running through the heavy snowfall. The pain started in my feet almost immediately. The biting wind seemed to blow right through me. I heard huffing from behind me, and I knew I couldn't stop to put on the boots and coat. So I kept running, going back around the house toward the barn. All I could think about was finding a weapon, and the barn seemed like the best option. So I ran to the small side door and lifted the latch, ducking quickly inside. There was a rack of tools just inside. I could barely make them out in the darkness. I dropped the coat and boots and grabbed a shovel. Just as I spun around with it, the door opened. Jerry pulled his head back just in time to avoid being hit in the face by the shovel. He jumped back and slammed the door, and I heard him run away yelling, He's in the barn! I knew Jerry would be back soon. They would get bundled up against the cold and come back. I had to do something, anything. Feeling along the wall next to the door, I found a light switch and flipped it. The barn was suddenly bright from three bulbs positioned on beams in the middle of the space. There wasn't much to it. It was more of a large storage shed than a place to hold animals. There was a separate area walled off on the back. Otherwise, there was a tractor in the middle of the space, along with other, smaller pieces of machinery. I pulled on the boots and tied them tight. Then I dressed in the coat, zipping it up all the way. Ditching the shovel, I picked up an ax instead, and I headed toward the back of the space to see if there was a good place to hide, or maybe a back exit. There had to be a town somewhere nearby, or a neighbor I could ask for help. I opened the door in the back wall and stepped through, and froze. The concrete slab in the middle of the narrow back room was stained with what looked like dried blood. There were restraints hanging from chains attached to the beam overhead, on either side of a single light bulb. And on the floor, flanking the bloodstain, were two more restraints. Together, they would be used for wrists and ankles. On the back wall, directly across from me, an old tapestry hung. There were pictures and writing on it. I couldn't understand the writing, but the pictures were very familiar. The first one showed a boy removing his shoes on a strange mat, then proceeding barefoot through the following images. The next one showed the same boy speaking, with lines coming out from his mouth to represent words. The following image showed the boy eating some kind of pinkish food. Then it showed him sitting on a strange design while another figure, a man, poured something on his head. The second to last picture showed the man dripping blood on the boy's face from a cut on his hand. The last picture detailed the boy's disembowelment by the man while hanging spread-eagled against a wall. Above the tapestry, there hung an ancient-looking dagger. Its handle was wooden and carved in the shape of a sneering demon with pointy ears and small eyes. I remembered the words Lilith said while I listened from the staircase. If he didn't do it of his own free will, it won't work. The night's events flashed in my head. From taking off my shoes and then my socks to saying the strange prayer and eating the terrible meat dish. Then Jerry convincing me to sit on the tarp and play the stupid game before he poured something out of a vial onto my head. I remembered the half-glimpsed design carved into the floor under the tarp. And finally, Glenn dripping blood on my face and in my mouth. It was all there on the tapestry, and I had done it of my own free will. I hadn't been forced to do any of it, even if I was asleep when the blood dripped on me. The water in the bathroom had been put there on purpose. Jerry had refused to get my bag or provide any socks. The whole confrontation in the basement might have been a setup. If it hadn't been that, he would have manufactured something else. 
Something so he could storm off to his room and ignore me so I couldn't go out and get my bag. It was all a carefully constructed ritual. A ritual I had done willingly, with very little prompting. The last thing they needed to do was kill me. The tea Lilith was going to bring up to me had been spiked with a sedative that would make it easier to get me out here to the barn. But here I was, of my own free will. The light above me suddenly went off. Someone was in the barn. I moved away from the open doorway toward the side of the narrow room. The whistling sound of the blizzard blowing through the front barn door was all I could hear. There were no footsteps, no rustling of clothing. I held the ax in front of me, facing the dark doorway from the side. My eyes were still adjusting to the gloom. All I could see were different shades of blackness. All I hoped was that I could spot whoever stepped through the door, but no one stepped through. I waited, hearing a faint creaking sound from the wall next to me. I thought it was just the wind moving the wooden wall. Then something fell on my ear, just a momentary feeling of nothing more substantial than dust, irritating the small hairs on my right ear. I glanced up as the figure crashed down on me, realizing with stark terror that there was no ceiling to this room. The wall was a partition separating the rest of the barn from this back section. And as the person hit me, I couldn't tell who it was. I realized they had climbed over and dropped down on me. The shrill and sickening pain of a blade piercing my skin just behind my right shoulder caused me to drop the ax as I was crushed to the ground. I've got him! Lilith screamed from on top of me. I heard the shuffling of feet from the other side of the wall. Panic and adrenaline coursed through my veins. The pain in my upper back sharpening the knowledge that it was time to fight or die. I'd fallen on my stomach and Lilith straddled my back. Feeling ahead for the axe handle with my right hand, I reached back with my left and gripped the knife embedded in my back. Jerry's mother wasn't concerned with the knife. It was only designed to stun me, to shock me for long enough that they could get the jump on me. She slithered her thin and ropey arms around my neck from behind, aiming to choke me out. They couldn't just kill me. They had to string me up by the restraints and disembowel me. Otherwise, all their work would be for nothing. I gripped the small kitchen knife and pulled it out with a grunt. (coughs) Sensing movement ahead of me, I swung the blade out in a savage arc. Glenn cried out as the blade cut into one of his ankles. Lilith screamed and doubled her efforts, making it so I couldn't pull in another breath. I brought the knife back the other way, jamming it into the area directly behind my head. I felt it sink into flesh. A moment later, Lilith's arms loosened, and I pulled a sweet breath in. As I pulled the blade out, a gush of warm wetness poured onto the back of my neck. Glenn was cursing just ahead of me, and as I threw off his fatally wounded wife, I realized I could see him. My eyes had adjusted. He was sitting ahead and to my left, gripping his bleeding ankle. As I got to my knees, the movement caught his attention. He looked over to see his wife bleeding profusely from her neck. I lunged at him with a knife. He caught my wrist in his hands and we struggled for control of the weapon. As I fought with the old man, I was vaguely aware of Jerry stepping into the room behind us. The scrape of the metal ax blade on the concrete floor sent my senses into overdrive. Jerry had the ax. Glenn was on his back and I was on top of him. Our hands were gripped around the knife as he tried to turn it toward me, and I tried to do the same to him. We scrambled around, wrestling on the ice-cold concrete floor. Jerry, I knew, was waiting for an opening. Hold him steady, he shouted at his father. 
Glenn shifted his left hand to my neck to do just what his son said. I knew what was coming next. The axe blade would swing down and hit me in the back of the head. It probably wouldn't kill me, not right away. They'd still have enough time to truss me up and gut me. I knew what was coming next, so I did something about it. My neck was still coated in Lilith's blood, and I knew Glenn's grip was tenuous. But I didn't pull away. That would have been the wrong thing to do. Instead, I flexed my core and whipped my head down toward Glenn. It worked. His hand slipped off my bloody neck, and I was suddenly chest to chest with him, my right ear level with his right. Like we were hugging, I twisted the knife blade to point in a neutral direction just before making my move, so neither of us felt the steel pierce our skin. But Jerry had already seen his chance. He'd swung the axe, only my head was no longer there. It had moved, down and away, to the left. So there was nothing to stop the axe blade as it continued in its path and slammed into Glenn's face with a crunch. I rolled off Glenn quickly, even as Jerry screamed and dropped the axe. I came up with a knife and crouched, facing off against Jerry. He looked at me with the wide, frightened eyes of a child, but they were childlike in appearance only. There was nothing underneath, only darkness, a void inside him. A void that would allow him to perform human sacrifices once every five years for some twisted ritual passed down through the generations. His eyes hardened. He lunged down toward the ax, but he wasn't fast enough. I crashed into him knife first as he gripped the ax handle. He went down hard, the back of his head slamming into the concrete. His hand went limp and the ax clunked to the floor. I moved back on my hands and knees, leaving the knife where it stuck out of his lower abdomen. The pool of blood slowly expanding from his skull told me that it was done. That and the blank look in his eyes. I sat on that cold concrete floor for a long time, shivering from the cold and the adrenaline. I felt like crying, but not from sadness or some deep-seated discomfort with confrontation. No, I felt like crying with relief, but I didn't. I shifted to my knees and went through Jerry's pockets. When I found what I was looking for, I walked out of the barn. The snow flurry stung as they struck my face. I crunched around to the front of the house and to Jerry's car. I unlocked it and grabbed my backpack. I brought the bag inside the house, shutting the door behind me. Picking a seat in the sitting room, I took off Glenn's boots and then rooted around in my bag for a pair of socks. I pulled them on and wiggled my toes, reveling in the comfort. I already felt better. That wasn't so hard, was it? I asked the drafty farmhouse. No one answered. They were all dead. <sighs> hey guys, thanks for listening. I want to give you all a quick heads up regarding some upcoming political ads you may start hearing leading up to this year's presidential election. These ads do not represent my own political viewpoint. So if you hear a political ad play on the podcast and it's not in my own voice, then it has absolutely nothing to do with me personally as a podcaster. Thank you again for being a dedicated listener of mine. And I can't wait to have another amazing year with you guys. I'll see you in the next episode.